0: Are warehouses really best positioned to benefit from artificial intelligence? Is banking moving sideways from manufacturing product to being just a feature? And is it true that wealth management software matters less and less? All these questions and more will be answered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Hello to everyone in the world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. This is the show where I share new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. I'm a strategy consultant, and my company, a consulting company, helps broker-dealers, banks, and asset managers make better technology decisions. And I'd like to remind you now, while you're listening, to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes, which would be a tragedy. My guest in this episode is Lex Sokolin. And I'm going to read his bio now, but I think I'm going to read it backwards uh, because it starts with where he is now and goes to where he has been. And I'm going to go from where he was to where he is now. So I first met Lex when he was COO at Advisor Engine, and he became COO at Advisor Engine uh, after they purchased his company, which he was CEO of, called Nest Egg Wealth, which was a robo-advisor that partnered with financial advisors, providing them technology that they can then use to provide digital wealth solutions to their clients. He did a really great job at Advisor Engine, really helped them get on the map uh, and, and close a number of really big deals. Advisor Engine is a great company, by the way. Uh, I just did uh, my interview with Rich Kankro on Winners of Wealth Tech, which you can check out on the podcast as well. And uh, after uh, Advisor Engine, uh, he was uh, lured away to become uh, the global director of fintech strategy at Autonomous Research, which is an equity research firm serving institutional investors. This is where the brains of Lex Soklin really came out. I mean, he's already a smart guy, but now we really knew he was smart when he was writing reports on artificial intelligence, blockchain, neobanks, digital lenders, some really, really smart stuff. Um, If you can pick it up, uh, it's still out there. And now he's doing more as the global fintech co head of Consensus, which is a blockchain technology company. That builds infrastructure applications uh, for the new decentralized world of cryptocurrency. I was really excited to get some time on Lex's calendar to do this interview. So I really hope you like it. Welcome to this episode of Wealth Management Today. I'm here with my guest, Lex Sokolin, the global fintech co-head at Consensus. Hey Lex.
1: Hey there! Good to
0: be here. It's fantastic for you to be here. We've been trying to organize this for months, and I'm glad we finally got onto your busy calendar.
2: Of course, I think you're probably talking to my various robot personas. They're, <laughs> they're
0: run around. I know, it's hard to get but, through all the chat bots you have set up to protect your <laughs> personal space and your business, uh, and your, you know, your business schedule. But I managed to get through them.
2: Not an exaggeration. That's <laughs> right.
0: And so, and, and you've just had a baby, Ma. Congratulations! Ma's a that. That keeps you busy as well, and probably you're probably very tired.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm awake all the time, and I think that's going to be the case for the next twenty years.
0: <laughs> that's why we I'm constantly kind of seeing tweets from you at at uh, w- weird hours at the night, at least of your Same. night. So, and you're located in in London.
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I moved to London about three years ago, um, and it was kind of th- I was I grew up in New York and I built an SDG and advisor engine out of New York and kind of spent a lot of time in that fintech ecosystem and was looking for another flavor of an experience and Mm -hmm. London outside of the U S London is Europe's fintech capital. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just a ton of learning you can, you can get about what people are interested in, what they care about. And it's very different from the U S. And so that's been really nice. And also you know, Brexit's been fun to watch because as an American, it's more of a comedy show than a terror movie. Uh,
0: so that's been that's been all right. Yeah, that's, you're the first person who I've heard say Brexit is fun to watch. <laughs> Most people, even if they're not UK residents, are, are a little worried about it, but good. I'll take that. You know, and, and I, I love London. Uh, I've been there a bunch of times. My, I have a daughter, one of my three daughters. You you have two daughters, so you're catching up to me. I have three I daughters. Have a son and a daughter. For so daughters, I'm sorry. still behind on you. I want to be a little bit. Uh, I have one daughter who's going to college in london, so it's definitely definitely a different college experience from being in the u s yeah there's
2: uh, I think there's less
0: sports <laughs> that 's one of the reasons less sports yeah. you know the whole football experience but uh, it's, it's uh, at least no whole American football experience you you 've just joined consensus after three years at autonomous and, and building that mm-hmm. that practice up so give me a quick overview of consensus for people who aren't familiar with that then tell me why you you left autonomous and, and went to consensus sure so my guess is
2: the audience probably doesn't know autonomous either so I'll, I'll do kind of a path hmm. out of the digital wealth industry I spent I spent a long time in wealth um, well at least in Considering the length of my career, it was long. Uh, you know, I started at Lehman in the wealth business, went to Barclays, um, was kind of in a strategy role there for a private wealth uh, division, and then in 2009 started a robo advisor, which was pretty early for for that theme. Uh, You're ahead of the curve. I, which sometimes is good, sometimes is not. You know, John John Betterment, I think did a great job also out of Columbia, uh, where I went and got. My uh, grad degree started around 2008, I think, for Betterment. We started in 09 as I was doing the degree. And, you know, I had a, a ton of fun learning how to be, a, be an entrepreneur and uh, getting the scar tissue of what it's like to think about your customers and how to design screens and how to sell things when you're an introverted person, you know, building up that skill set, raising money and so on. Um, and then in the second iteration of that, with Advisor Engine and with uh, my partner Rich Cancro, it was really the grown-up version of a digital wealth platform of mm-hmm. like how do we build a chassis that's enterprise and institutional, um, and not a point solution that you know doesn't. If you look at uh, you know some of the some of the competition today, that's where they're having trouble is, is scaling out uh, Advisor apps versus the digital wealth chassis.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so after doing that for a meaningful amount of time. I was starting to get really interested in what are the other innovation frontiers that are happening, sort of just in technology overall. So that's artificial intelligence and blockchain and virtual and mixed reality uh, and banking as a service and the APIs there, digital lending, and so you can go on and on and on. And then the other dimension is what. What is happening in the other industries? Because when you're looking at wealth and only wealth, what you're missing is the fact that China, in four years, has a chat app with 500 million users and the world's largest money market fund embedded into it, and you can send money through that app, which also has payments rails attached,
0: right? And so WeChat. This is WeChat, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: or that the largest video game company in China, Tencent, is also one of the largest underwriters for personal loans. Right, so you, you kind of you just you are so focused about solving that customer problem, which is what you should do as a business owner, entrepreneur, that you kind of miss the context. Mm-hmm. What's happening in capital markets and insurance exchanges uh, and so on. So I joined Autonomous in 2016. Autonomous was a a research firm, equity research firm. My clients were primarily large money managers, so people running large mutual funds and hedge funds trying to decide, is it Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank? Mm -hmm. That decision is a little easier today, uh, given what remains of Deutsche Bank, but you get the point. And and so it gave me an opportunity to develop some really strong mental models across these things, Hmm. which is kind of basically a cheat sheet for how to think uh, luckily for, for me, in a sense, uh, within three years, autonomous ended up getting bought. So uh, Alliance Bernstein, which you might know as an asset manager, but is also a, um, a research shop, bought the company uh, last year. And I was excited for that moment because it, it let me look again for a place where I could operate and get my hands dirty and start kind of get back to company building, which is um, what we're doing at Consensus like a really long wind-up to consensus there.
0: It yeah, was, but that's fun. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's good to hear that background and understand. I mean, I like to understand the thought process personally.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's helpful for for folks to sometimes, you know, get shaken up and uh, pulled out of their day-to-day industry process because mm-hmm. there's just so much interesting stuff going on externally. And out of all the research that I did at Autonomous, the place where I, you know, got infected in my mind and where I really landed on was blockchain and artificial intelligence. Those are the those are the two, right? In terms of existential change to what finance it is, how we access it, who gets to who gets to win, and how. To really simplify, artificial intelligence is going to primarily help distributors. It's going to uh, help distributors. Uh, shift from finance firms to tech firms. And then blockchain is really going to change manufacturing. It's going to change how you make the product, how that product is stored, where it lives, how you, how you package it, where the software is to manage it and so on. And so consensus is one of the largest firms in the space. Mm -hmm. Um, It has a number of fintech initiatives around digital assets, around, decentralized finance and enterprise blockchain. So working with big finance firms to put initiatives in place. And I have joined to co-head the product company around those fintech uh, solutions and kind of package it, stand it up as a strategy and put it out to market. So
0: you think package products, what kind of products are you talking about?
2: So, for example, let's cut through the lingo, right? So, digital wealth is about taking traditional investment product, like ETFs mm-hmm. or stocks, and then putting it into a portfolio and applying software to it, and then helping helping people access the, that traditional product set using mobile apps or websites, That's tr- fintech, digital wealth. Mm-hmm. So, digital assets are the opposites of that, where you are starting with the question of what is the actual thing you hold? How do you hold the security? Where is it custodied? Where is the information about the share certificate sitting? How do you divide that that share into different pieces? What if it's not a share? What if it's a piece of a building? What if it's real estate, or maybe it's commodities, or maybe it's gold? Maybe it's a horse? How do you own a thousandth of a horse? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this fractionalization of assets, right. and it's a wrapper. I'm going to use the word token, even though I think a lot of people now have allergy to the word token or mm-hmm. crypto or any of that or coin. But it's a the, the technology wrapper is a token that represents that underlying asset. Right. And the magic thing about these tokens is that they they have a whole bunch of properties out of the box that are transformational for the investment industry. So custody and settlement can just go away because it is inherent in the technology itself. Mm -hmm. It is an attribute of the fund or or the the share that it is custodied and settled. Other things start to attach as well. So the ability to do dividends, the ability to vote, the ability to potentially... Uh, send payments out or self-rebalance any number of functions you can start building into the instrument. So that's the asset. Um, and digital asset is figuring out how to rebuild finance from that starting point. And so a lot of the, the kind of product offering at Consensus is thinking about how to reimagine finance uh, on blockchain infrastructure using uh, digital assets across the different asset classes. And this is a hard question. Uh, the pace of it is different depending where you look. Sometimes it might be in payments. Sometimes it might be in commercial networks. Sometimes it might be in real estate. Sometimes it might be in asset allocation, but you, you just have to go
0: with the demand. Gotcha. So let me go back to what something you just said that I thought was interesting. Blockchain plus AI equals existential change. And you said AI will help distributors shift from finance firms to technology firms. So do you mean that their traditional roles as as financiers and and fo- focusing on wealth is going to change and they'll be focusing more on tech on becoming more of a tech firm model or or what do you mean by that sure so
2: i think some of this
0: of course is a rhetorical
2: point and the first points of pushback are going to be around you know what is the time frame of what you're talking about mm-hmm. but i i think there is uh there is a strong underlying trend around what's happening to financial products more generally and it's we're going from this world where being the manufacturer this factory of product is important mm-hmm. to a world where finance is really just embedded into everything it's just mm-hmm. a feature you know so right. like amazon has thousands and thousands of features you can buy toilet paper you can subscribe to movies you mm-hmm. can get things shipped uh, in mm-hmm. a few hours um, and you can get, uh, you know, you can also bank there. You can have a wallet with money in it. You can get a card um, or you can you can get a loan. If you're a merchant and you sell on Amazon, you can get underwritten by Amazon. Sure. So there's nothing special about finance products for Amazon. It's just one of the very many features. And so what artificial intelligence does is it accrues data and then decision-making in an automated way, to the tech companies. So tech companies, you can say today, pretty pretty squarely, have a lot more data on people than most wealth managers. Sure, but not as much as banks. It depends. I could take on the challenge and say, from Facebook data, you can probably impute people's financial statements. Like, if you if you scan people's photos for the objects that they have and for the vacations they take and for the number of children they have, I bet that you could manufacture pretty... Uh, at least uh, on average, you could manufacture a pretty accurate financial situation for
0: somebody. That's an interesting, uh, that's very interesting. So I never thought about that. So you're saying that just from photos based on, you know, what kind of car they're driving, what kind of house they live in, what neighborhood they're in. You know, I've seen that kind of data looking at directional data, GPS data, knowing where you go to work, where you go to school, where you live, you can impute a lot of information. But Looking at the things, the objects in photos, based on their value, you could figure out what their wealth is, or at least what their income is.
2: And you're going to be wrong a lot of the time, but on average, you're going to be pretty close to right.
0: If you're directionally right enough, that's all that matters. Yep. Yep.
2: Interesting. So a bank can't go the other way. You know, uh, well, from your credit card statements, it might be able to know the things you buy, but it's not going to know your personality
0: and your emotional set and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. Not until you get the emotional bots that can look at your facial features and know when you're smiling or when you're frowning or the micro changes in your muscles that determine if you're upset or things like that. Well, this is the
2: fun thing is like in the US, this is still kind of, you know, it's um, it's not forbidden to talk about it, but it's not it's not cool to be tracked in that way, even mm-hmm. though I'm sure your phone does it, you know, so you authenticate into your phone and... Mm-hmm. It, it knows if you're happy or sad, and so does, you know, when you yell at Amazon Alexa. I'm sure it knows when you're angry.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had one, it would, but I don't have one. Oh, the phone's I listening all the time. It's you got multiple microphones just for that reason. You think you don't have one? Let <laughs> uh, me see if I. You think that there's one somewhere hidden in here? Uh, so no, Alexa. What's consensus doing that I don't know about? blockchain. Watching. Um,
2: But in, you know, in places like China, that's, this is not a hypothetical, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you want to. So one of the coolest things and super interesting things that um, has come out recently, and also, of course, Chinese news that you read in the Western media is filtered, and it's, me- it's meant to make an impression. But of here, it's an interesting progression. So in the U.S., you've got your credit card, and people are used to swiping their credit card, and now finally you're inserting your credit card, or maybe you're tapping your credit card. But sure. we're still kind of stuck with our payment um, experience. In the East, you didn't really have credit card penetration, so the hack or the solution that came around is a QR code. The sure. a QR code is you take a phone. It's if you go to a Starbucks and you ever scan the app. If you go to right. you take a phone, you take the, the camera, and then you scan what looks like a little digital pixelated square. And so for a long time, um, that was the default method of
0: payment mm-hmm. in, in China for sort of physical commerce, even sure. on the street. I was saying even street vendors, you can't use cash. You have to use your, you have to use your WeChat. Exactly.
2: Now, what's happening today is that the QR code is being replaced by your face. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going to a merchant, the merchant from one of the three AI tech companies, you know, and they're all like backed and controlled by the government, by the Chinese government at the end of the day, which has all the data that there is, period. These tech companies will outfit a merchant. So you're going to go buy your sandwich. You don't need your wallet because they've got a camera that just snaps your face mm-hmm. and your face is your QR code, which... Of course it is. You're a human being. There's one of you. Like in the physical world, you've got a unique DNA, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So now the technology is in that place where to say you are your own password. Mm-hmm. You can Perfect. put aside all the stuff about hacking and pretending and stealing identity. Mm-hmm. Those are all real concerns. But that is happening today. That is not science fiction, that is what people are doing. And in the US we're still kind of we're still arguing about just just like absurd things about you, like wagging our finger at Zuckerberg for exposing data in 2012.
0: Like mm-hmm. that's, that's how I think behind we are. So it was, a, so you, what we're saying is this is very common in other developing nations where they don't have the latest technology, which becomes an advantage because they don't wind up having all this legacy systems. Like we're stuck with legacy credit card systems, where they just skip right over it and go to QR codes and skip over that and go right to your facial recognition. and We're still three generations behind.
2: And exactly. I mean, if you want to make it real on the wealth management side, if you are running a practice and you're multi-custodial and let's say you hire somebody to come in in the morning and look at a reconciliation system and, you know, one option is priced one way at Fidelity and another at Schwab, right? And this is your life. It's very common. Or like the money hasn't hit. Where's the money? You know, let's get on the phone to figure out where the money is. So this is the life in the U.S., Um, So now imagine a world where either Facebook or, again, the Chinese government or, you know, some Eastern European nation or France, uh, all of these are potential locations, just has a single uh, data set and shared workflows for uh, wealth management data and investment accounts. And these things are called blockchains, and they have one source of truth, uh, and they have one set of standards for investments and one set of standards for payments and one set of standards for workflows. Sometimes they're agreed on by the industry bodies themselves, and so this is something that Fidelity and Schwab and, and others can do together as an industry. Or it could be, you know, I'm I'm going to pitch right now to the to the 10,000 RAs that listen to your to your podcast. All the each REA could set up their own node and create their own blockchain network on which data travels. And they could shift the power in the industry towards the
0: independence because they could decide what the standard is. Well, I think that's where a ways off from that it needs to be a plug and play type of device to, to do that. I mean, even banks aren't moving to blockchain entirely. They're, they're still experimenting. And is it really, you know, now we're getting to some areas where, I, where I'm a little uh, peeved off, but is it really blockchain if it's controlled by someone like Facebook or a bank, as opposed to being a completely decentralized network?
2: Yeah, so, you know, so I think I would say that's just, there's, there's public blockchain, which is, depending on where you come from, you, you may think that is the only, in the long run, that's the only feasible solution. And that can only be open. Public blockchains are how Bitcoin exists and how sure. Ether exists. Public blockchains—you can't. You, it's very hard to tamper with them, and therefore you could say that they're the only place where you know, scarce digital goods really exist. But at the same time, you can have other things. You can have a permissioned public blockchain. So you could, for example, for certain data, you could encrypt it um, and then give keys only to certain consortia in order to kind of unlock the full functionality. So you could be in, you can benefit from the. Billions of dollars that go into um, mining these networks, into securing these networks. Mm -hmm. Billions of of dollars that go into making sure they're secure, but at the same time have data that is is private. Or, you know, if if that's still too much exposure, you could say, I'm going to take the same technology, but instead of defending against unknown parties and my consensus mechanism, what I'm going to do is say, I mean, like proof of authority is, is what people call it, which is you are, you, we, we know who you are based on your access to the legal system. I know you're the Fidelity legal entity. I know you're the UPS legal entity. And only those, those nodes can uh, do transactions. But in my mind, all of those are steps in an interesting direction. And they are all, you know, they're governed by trade-offs and they are all different from a shared database. Um, even the most private, permissioned, you know, custom-built blockchain, I think, is different from a shared database um, because it runs on the the same standards that the public chains can run on, and can run software that you could port over from from the public chain. So you could avail yourself to the type of innovation that thousands of developers are doing every single day, sure, but still retain control.
0: I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a non You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, Again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like invest in others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. So going back to wealth management, so you were, we're talking about, I want to jump right to the controversial thing you wanted to talk about because I think I think that's an interesting uh, topic. So this is all leading don't in that make, direction. Don't make me be mean. Yeah, go ahead. So wealth management software matters less and less. Uh, is that uh, related to what we were just talking about, or is there a different reason why wealth management software is going to matter less and less? This is a separate and actually less speculative
2: point. And I'm somebody that, that has built quite a bit of wealth management software and found it to be very important and democratizing. So I, I wouldn't say that. There's not power inherent in automating more wealth management. There still is. It's just that we're now in a place in the cycle where the next platform and the next platform have have launched. And we're also in a place where the other verticals that experienced the exact same vector of change, identical vector of change, um, Those verticals are converging and bundling in a way to make wealth management a a component um, and less individually important. And so, you know, what's the vector of change? The vector of change is take human process, turn it into a machine process, and put it on a mobile phone or the web, right? So wealth management software. Or empower advisors to run their practices more efficiently. Instead of using paper, use online account opening and online risk assessment. You know, so... That exact same thing happened in digital lending. You know, instead of going to your bank to get a loan, you go to a website and you get a loan on that website. Or you empower uh, lending underwriters in a branch to open accounts without paper using a web interface and to underwrite using a model that's controlled by the bank centrally. And in insurance with insurance agents, and so on and so forth. So in each of these verticals, you've now stood up a champion in wealth that's going to be... Betterment's Personal Capital, you know, Schwab, etc. In maybe Acorns. In digital lending, it's going to be SoFi. Uh, less lending club for what I'm thinking about, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: on deck, th- those kinds of businesses. Um, in payments, you've got Venmo and Square Cash, who, who's that insurance. And in insurance, you have things like Lemonade. And mm-hmm. the Europeans, what the Europeans are doing is they're exporting banks to the U.S. Sure. So um, the way that... In the U.S., wealth management is prestigious and systemically important. In the in the U.K. and Europe, banks are like that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they, they, you know, they have a retirement system guaranteed by the government, so they're not all going broke and dead at the age of sixty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're much more worried about FX and banking. And so all of these different industry um, champions, they all have a, millions of customers now. And they're all vastly unprofitable. So the solution to being vastly unprofitable is let's sell more stuff. And the stuff that they're selling now is cross-industry. So you go to Acorns, you get PayPal, and you get a credit card. You go to Betterment, you get a bank account. You go to Revolut, which is the UK's biggest neobank with a couple of million users. You get payments and banking and cryptocurrencies and um, I think insurance is one of the modules. N26, the German one since definitely has a robo advisor and insurance. Mm-hmm. So by the student lender has wealth and insurance and mortgages, right? So in that context, where hundreds of billions of dollars are propping this thing up, mm-hmm. and the only outcome is for them to keep getting more full featured. I think the importance of any individual wealth software, like let's build the best tax-aware tax rebalancing software or the best goal-based planning software on a local level that's meaningful, but on like this global landscape, it's just not enough to, to you know counteract that force.
0: So uh, one thing you had, I've noticed is a lot of these firms are all sort of migrating to the same group of services, but they're coming at it from different directions. Whereas Acorns came at it from... Micro payments or micro savings, then added banking, then added wealth and money line. Started out with lending, and then added wealth and payments. So, so they're all sort of moving to the same broad group of services. Is that what you're saying? That everyone's got to sell all these things in order to be profitable, or they're never going to be profitable? And it's just it's it's just one, it's, it's all going to explode. If all if they have millions of customers, but they're still unprofitable, so selling more stuff is not going to make it better. It's like well, I'm losing money in every widget, I'll just make it up in volume I think it's so their bet
2: is selling more stuff to the same customer right mm-hmm. so if you're cross selling uh, yeah it's it's cross selling but it's um it's designed in a in a very in a much more integrated way at the core, so it's not like I'm doing investment banking business and once in a while I send a wealth management referral it's my client comes to me for all of their financial needs, and mm-hmm. they're all served in a phone app that takes about half a second to load. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like city in the '80s where you've got paperwork and paperwork, and maybe it'll the cross sell will materialize. It's at the very core of these services. They are they are full financial assistance, and as client bases and the the data within these company grows. I think they are betting that they're going to continue to get more customized and know mm-hmm. better and better what, what clients need. Um, there's also this kind of intergenerational bet that I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. uh, said thousands of times um, about you know these clients becoming wealthier over time and having broader needs over time. And so getting their attention early is valuable. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it, that is true, it actually doesn't matter, right? Because you take any business that's getting some amount of traction and you give it 250 million dollars of soft bank backing and they can figure out how to spend that to buy revenue right so right. The, the fact that so much of this stuff is happening in the private private equity markets and that there's not this real there's not the filtering mechanism of going public to make a real business just means that these bets are going to continue until they're worth 10 20 50 billion dollars on the private markets and at that point if some of them die who cares because you're still going to be left with one or two standing and those one or two standing are going to do the thing that everybody's converging to and they're going to do it i think fairly successfully
0: so are you saying that firms that are buying are buying revenue well uh, i want to come back to your your fellow columbia alum uh, Betterman John Stein. So, are they just buying revenue? I, I mean, I see Betterman Wealthfront as never being able to succeed or or be able to pay back their VC funding because they're just, they're just online RIAs basically. There, there's nothing special about them. So, is that something you agree with, or do you see them as, as eventually becoming unicorns and, uh, unicorns and and taking over the market?
2: So, I've got nothing but admiration for John. I think he's done a, a bang of job uh, innovating in the space. And I think, you know, if you look at if you look at what people wrote, including me, four or five years ago, they said, you know, you reach ten to twenty billion in AUM and you're going to be break even. Mm-hmm. And these guys have done it. So they've reached 15, 20 billion of AUM and they're break even. So even though there's a capital stack on the venture side where that I, I don't remember all the certainly over a hundred million venture rates, but I don't remember off the top of my head what it is. You know, there's a venture capital stack which is under pressure, um, and it needs to return three, four, five times the valuation that it was well, put well, like into.
0: Seven or eight times.
2: Well, you're, <laughs> you're trying to be fair.
0: Yes, I am.
2: At least everything they do now from now on is gravy, and at least everything that they do from break-even forward is both. Um, uh, you know, it 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 sort of it makes them seem more right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So any traction they have on top of the break-even is going to make their investor decks look and feel really strong. And then number two is because at that scale and at that brand level, it's going to be also much more accessible. To, they're going to have opportunities that are higher be opportunities, right? So mm-hmm. if they wanted to go into supporting security tokens, that would be easier for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they wanted to partner with Coinbase, which is now worth $10 bucks, that would be easier for them. Um, if they wanted to offer insurance, um, that would be easier for them. And I think if you look at the at the numbers for adding products, they're they're non-trivial. I mean, um, banking product. If you're able to take a two percent spread, a two percent spread is two hundred basis points, right? That's that's versus the twenty-five basis points on, on those assets that you'd have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's again, all these additional things are gravy. Now the question is. Are they going to be able to get to a, I mean, a unicorn valuation is not sufficient. And Betterment's actually, I think, uh, they're not, they're a pretty conservative example. Like SoFi is the much more aggressive example. SoFi's mm-hmm. raised, I think, $2 bucks from SoftBank. Mm-hmm. That's an oversimplification, but give or take. You know, so are they going to be able to come out with a 20 $30, 40000000000 billion public market valuation? That is a heavy lift to do. Right uh, so I think that's a question mark, but it's sort of like it's this kind of thing where it it doesn't really matter because there there's still capital on the sidelines to keep to keep funding that growth, and if you're in a break even position you'll you'll get more capital to to get even bigger.
0: I'm trying to summarize what you're what you're saying here that there's so much capital that they, that they don't care if some of these firms. Aren't really profitable, and they're just—they're really—they're buying their revenue and and funding these this development, because they're they expect someone's going to be successful out of all these different firms. But one question I wanted to ask was, will banks go the the idea of banks that we have now go away because we don't need them because banking becomes ubiquitous everywhere.
2: So banking, as it is today, is 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 going sideways from manufacturing to to being a feature. And what that really means is that banking as a as a service, as a here's where you put capital and you get interest back or you get a payments card back.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a,
2: just a thing you access with APIs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a theme, that's about two and a half three years old. Um, a number of Valley Silicon Valley companies have really leaned into it, and if you think about data aggregation companies like Plat and Yodlee and this is the next step of that theme, right? So, what you do is you let's say you look at the long tail of banks in the U.S. not the top ten, but the next eight thousand. So you you build a software that is able to open accounts in a uh, hundred of them, and so now you are providing an API, one point of access, and you can place money across any number of accounts and they're FDIC insured, um, and they all have their own costs and, and connectivity for money management, money movement, and, and account management, payments, and things like that. Um, and then you can plug in that banking product without being a bank into Whatever you want, you you can be in you know you can be an airline, you can be a travel you know insurance and travel site. Same things happening to insurance. And the example there is maybe kayak wants you to sell you travel insurance through you know any API gadget that they build out. Same for wealth, right? You you um, if you pull in through APIs, the ability to open accounts and place them in some contextual places. Uh, same for lending and credit. If right now uh, one of the grows fastest growing fintechs in the U.S. is Called Green Sky. And what they do is um, they sell loans through home improvement uh, contractors. So you need something in your house, the contractor comes and says, There's gonna be 15 grand, and they come with an iPad, and you can get a loan right there for that work. And Green Sky powers the platform, and then they, they get the underwriting from banks.
0: That's sort of a, another It's expansion of the point of sale loans.
2: I think everything is in point of sale. Everything lives inside the moment of attention and the moment of intent, right? So that's why the, the tech companies are so powerful.
0: I like the the moment of intention or the moment of intent. So it's, all, it's all, it's all, the impulse buy. Everything becomes impulse buy. Get a loan, get a product, buy, buy, buy this, buy that, get a loan. Everything's going to be all through impulses. You're getting me depressed. <laughs> hey, you're the one who moved into this uh, this, this this area, not me. The, um, so th- let's talk about um, who's best positioned to benefit from artificial intelligence. And back back to wealth management, are warehouses best positioned to benefit from artificial intelligence? And if so, why?
2: So artificial intelligence is a second order effect. It's a derivative of the cloud and the data that's captured in the cloud. Uh, if you are not running your software in the cloud and if you're not capturing customer activity and data and things that are changing in that cloud, there is no AI to speak about. And then for AI to work, what you really need is hundreds of thousands of data points. So if you want to teach a robot to tell the difference between a cat and a dog, Mm -hmm. you better have some pictures of cats and dogs. This Mm -hmm. is why the internet is really good. There's a lot of pictures of cats and dogs. Therefore, Google knows how to tell them apart. Um it's impossible for me to imagine that small practices in wealth or in any industry, you know taxis are tax what is any individual taxi going to invent Uber and like self-driving cars.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it's very hard for me to imagine for a smaller practice that is not running its own tech to, be the builder of the software. The natural builder of the software is uh, a massive company with millions of customers. And that's also who can afford to hire the talent for it. So the way you kind of see it happening is of course, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, but outside of those, it is JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, maybe some of the Spanish banks like Santander, BBVA have been more aggressive around you know, these FinTech investments. And it's hard to be a public company and do these well because your your hedge fund investor says, how's this gonna help you next quarter? How much money are you gonna make from spending $3 billion on AI? And the answer mm-hmm. is, well, none. None for 10 years and then a whole lot when everyone else dies. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that being a public company really
0: affords you. Because they're um, a quarterly base.
2: Exactly. And the CEOs paid on, you know, on performance for the year at, at best. So there is this dynamic, but some companies have been able to get out of their own way and really invest. And JPM and Goldman have been leaders in that. And you just look at Deutsche Bank, right? So Deutsche Bank's response to, we don't know how to run our business is to say, we're going to lay off 18,000 people <laughs> and then we're going to invest 13 billion in technology. Which you don't you don't even have to think about any content of what, like substance of what it means to invest in technology because I don't know if they know what they mean, uh, but the messaging of that is enough to tell you you know where the direction is going.
0: So is that more? So is that, but is that the the right thing to do? Just bad messaging, or is it also the wrong thing to do?
2: This you know I'm biased I'm. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur in the space, and I think the most interesting stuff is the frontier. And so I'm probably earlier to trends than I should be. That said, I think that these sort of small channel experiments or these, you know, I'll give the hard tech thing to my intern and see what they do is the totally wrong approach. And that the only way to do it is to do it seriously as a transformation project um and to, to imagine the full scope of what a what a AI or blockchain or any of these things can do and kind of commit to thinking about the whole thing running on that type of infrastructure because anything less is just is is not gonna is not gonna move the needle. Um, so I think I think it does make sense to invest 13 billion in tech for sure. Um, I, I do think they they're they've made that decision a little bit too late.
0: So they can't catch up?
2: Most likely what happens if you can't catch up is that you rent the software.
0: Right. They'll get it one way or the other.
2: Yeah. So you rent from IBM or Google or someone
0: like that. then would that be a better uh, way to do it than trying to build it yourself? And they, that's not their core competency. Even JP Morgan Goldman, Santander, their, their core competency isn't AI systems.
2: That's totally fair. Yeah, I'd agree with you. you, It is a business line by business line decision. You know, so let's say you're running a capital markets desk and you have some really smart quants. And one of the things that they're able to do is use AI in augmenting their trading strategy or not even their trading strategy, but like how the, the trading Order routing happens, right? So to make make more efficient implementation of the trading process, yeah, do that yourself for sure. Should you try to replace Google's or Facebook machine vision? Probably not. Take that off the rack. The danger is if you do nothing, then you'll just get commoditized out. And all you all you can do is provide banking product into with a tech provider on top
0: of it. Isn't that happening anyway? With with interesting banking is going sideways. So aren't they all being commoditized out anyway? Is there any hope for them?
2: I think the middle and the long tail are the ones that are under pressure in the way that I've described. I think the, the types of organizations that are making the investment now, either making a big investment or will get lucky in how their investments turn out. I think those types of organizations will look more like tech firms in the future. And we see this happening in the messaging too, right? I mean... Every bank you know of has come out and said we're a
0: technology company now, which just shows you how people are thinking. Indeed. Uh, so we're running out of time. I want to get a couple of quick questions. So I was on your website, lexsocolin.com, and uh, I noticed a, a link to abstract poetry comics. Is this an accusation? What, what is, is there? No, I, I, I'm interested. What is abstract <laughs> poetry comics? I kind of looked through it, and I didn't understand what it was.
2: On the side... Uh, I do a lot of visual arts, and the visual arts that I do are abstract, uh, and I tend to use technology to make the visuals. So uh, kind of combined with a design background, you know where I, I've built a lot of the screens for the companies that I've worked with, the software I, I, you would write code to make visuals to generate visuals, or you can mm. use software to generate the visuals. Uh, or neural networks from artificial intelligence to render them in three D. So that's the abstract part. Um, the comics part is pretty straightforward. Which is, if you put if you put panels in order, if you put pictures in order, and you put words under them, uh, that tells a story. And that's you know it's, you can call it comics or narrative or graphic graphic novels. But deep in our core, that's that's how we communicate: is through visuals and language. If you look at the first cave painting, it's the same thing as a comic. So um it's sort of like my avant-garde uh visual art approach is to try and combine some of this like really fresh abstraction with with writing and, and a story.
0: No, I think it's 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 awesome. I mean, you know, it's it's Steve Jobs was one of the first ones to combine. These different you know, technology with art and 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 really see that those those two things are can be combined and, and make them better. So, trying to get out of the just the focus of pure tech and 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 merging it with art in some way, I'm I'm, I'm a big proponent of.
2: You're being too kind with your comparison, but I, I would put it the following: I'd say uh, the older I get and the more confidence I am in in my career, the uh, the more I allow my eccentricity to flow out.
0: <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And and with that, I'll say that that the newly fun, newly named Lex, now going by one name on Twitter, Lex. Who, right? So you that's your you're now a one name celebrity. Uh, Lex, thank you for being here. I, I thought this was a great conversation. We really covered a lot of a lot of ground, and I appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Um, if um, anyone wants to check out, uh, I've, got, I've still got a weekly newsletter that I try, try to keep up called Future Finance. You can get it off either that site um, that Craig mentioned or off my Twitter, uh, Lex <laughs> so cool. Um And uh, yeah, I talk about all this stuff um, daily. It's just sort of a, a slice of my brain. And
0: I'll put it on uh, when I post this on my blog, I, I put a full transcript and I'll put links to all these things as well.
2: Amazing.
0: Thank you. Great. Thanks, Lex. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.